Let me ask you a question. What is your stereotypical image of a professional poker player? Maybe it's a smooth-talking hustler named Doc who knows his way around the streets. Or maybe it's an old-school road gambler with a cowboy hat and a thick southern drawl. Or perhaps it's a scrawny internet nerd who needs to get outside a little more often. When I was younger, I played musical instruments, I played some sports, and I played competitive chess. That's Olivier Bousquet. In the internet poker world, he's what his fellow players call a boss. He's one of the most successful poker players in the 15-year history of internet poker. He's won millions of dollars playing the game. And standing at a solidly built 6 foot 2, 187 pounds, he's anything but scrawny. Olivier first found poker working at a hedge fund in his native New York. He was told that playing poker would help him become a trader, so he took up the game. But eventually, poker became a lot more compelling to him than the world of finance. So I actually tried to learn how to play poker as a way to try to develop skills that were relevant for trading. Mm -hmm. And I ended up becoming so obsessed with poker, originally in a pretty unhealthy way, to be honest. So kind of consumed and even addicted by it. Um, I was playing on the internet at the time. And I ended up getting fired from my job for playing at work. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and I had actually, I had actually been warned, um, in this like pretty informal way, like they kind of took my group into a room and they were like, you know, you guys are doing things on the, on the internet that you shouldn't be like, we want you to cut it out. And I just like, didn't stop. I just didn't care. I didn't care about my job. And I didn't have a particularly interesting job at the hedge fund, but obviously this was like some self-sabotage that, um, just ended up playing out and I got fired and all of a sudden I was didn't have anything to do all day and I just played poker all day every day. And just like that, a poker player was born. I'll ask you another question. What's your image of a professional mixed martial arts fighter? You know, those guys who slap on tiny four ounce fingerless gloves and jump into a cage to throw punches, kicks, elbows and knees at each other's faces and slam one another into the ground so that they can attack with chokeholds and joint locks. Maybe this time you see a muscular goon with a shaved head and too many bad tribal tattoos. Someone with some anger management issues who works through them by smashing skulls and breaking bones. Or as Olivier might put it, When you look around a room at a poker tournament, you don't <laughs> see a bunch of people who seem like they would be that intimidating in a cage. This is All In or Knocked Out. In this series, you'll hear the story of two elite professional poker players stepping into the mixed martial arts cage for the very first time. With only the bare basics in MMA training and experience, they've agreed to fight one another for a quarter million dollars. We'll follow their journey as they face their fears and dedicate everything to the fight. Here's your host, Terrence Chan. The World Series of Poker is held in Las Vegas every summer. This is not where you'd expect to find a lot of tough guys. Brave guys? Sure. It takes a special class of person to wager $10,000 on the turn of a few cards. Welcome to Las Vegas, where our seven-day quest for poker immortality is almost complete. And as they get closer to the prize, emotions take over. Dealer, do it! Yes! Yes! Jesus! The day of reckoning is near, and only a chosen few will survive to chase the dream. 
The voice you heard in the beginning of the show, Olivier Bousquet, is one of the bravest and most successful when it comes to the poker world. For years, Olivier has been one of the most dominant forces in online poker, as well as major worldwide tournaments like the World Series of Poker and the European Poker Tour. His live tournament winnings exceed $6.8 million, but his true calling card is online poker. Specifically, it's something called a heads-up sit-and-go, a special type of one-on-one -on -one poker game which takes only a few minutes but can involve thousands of dollars. Olivier will often play 20 to 30 of these in a day, meaning that he will often put in tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in a 24-hour period. In 2014, he won the Super High Roller Tournament in Barcelona, Spain, collecting nearly 800,000 euros, close to $1.2 million. Elite poker pros aren't just born. It takes practice, dedication, and a bit of obsessiveness to become truly elite. And sometimes, motivation can come in the form of someone challenging your ego. Olivier tells a story of one online poker tournament in particular where his opponent challenged his ego. I was kind of, I was like, kind of going back and forth with this guy in the chat, and this guy kind of, as a way of digging at me, this guy was like, why would I even listen to you? You're like, you're not even a winning player, like you're a losing player. And I was like, what are you even, I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, uh, all he just wrote, sharkscope.com. And sharkscope.com is, right. is, you know, is a tracking site, a site that tracks, at the time it was really only sit-and-go results. I think now it, it does tournaments, but um, at the time it was just sit-and-go results. And I was like, I've never heard of it. I went to it, I put my name in, and you know, sure enough, I was down like, I don't know, $4,500, or some, you know, some, some number like that, which was not like a ton of money compared to the, the amount of money that I had won and, and all of the stuff because I just hadn't played heads-up sit-and-goes that much or sit-and-goes in general that much. But it was a negative number and it was like, I'm not going to let you know, somebody have ammo, <laughs> you know, to like <laughs> call me out. So I, I, I remember just being specifically motivated to get my shark scope number to zero. Olivier did more than just get that number from losing to zero. He's generally considered to be the first person to ever win a million dollars playing heads up sit and goes. And to date, he's won over $5 million playing them. In short, the poker life has been good to Olivier Bousquet. That's why the poker world raised an eyebrow when he put out a tweet on September 23rd, 2015, challenging the rest of the poker world to an MMA fight. So what made you decide that you wanted to fight someone for a bunch of money? I just wanted to. I, I, I've always thought that being able to defend yourself or you know, handle yourself physically was like a basic skill that a man should have. Um, right. So that was part of it. That was, you know, that was definitely like the, one of the basic um, original um, motivators for for wanting to do this. Uh, I, I also, though, like I also felt in myself that I that if I had tried to learn how to fight, I would probably not really follow through with the training. Just knowing myself, having a bunch of different stuff going on, traveling for poker, um, dating, socializing, wanting to play other sports, or like just I, I just felt like I would probably do it for like. I don't know, a couple weeks and then um, just not be consistent with it or just not continue with it. And I just had this sense that I wanted some sort of external um, mechanism to force me into staying with it. And it was a pretty natural uh, transition from that idea to a bet because that's just something I'm surrounded by being in poker. I've never really right. been involved in one of these types of prop bets. But like you see people all the time do, for example, like weight loss bets where people want to lose weight and they just look for extra motivation to do it. Um, and it works. I mean, a lot of times you see people lose a bunch of weight. I mean, sometimes they gain it back, but I mean, they lose a bunch of weight and, and that's not even because necessarily they win the bet, but just because they're motivated by the bet. 
um, it just I think it's it can be an effective motivator. These types of bets, well, not an MMA bet specifically, are indeed a big part of the poker world. People in poker bet ridiculous amounts on anything and everything. Former World Series of Poker champion Huck Seed once bet $50,000 that he could stand in the ocean for 24 hours. Instagram superstar Dan Bilzerian wagered 600000 that he could ride a bicycle from Las Vegas to Los Angeles. There was even a $40,000 bet whether a poker player could live in a public bathroom for 24 hours. By the way, all of those bets were won by the person attempting the ridiculous physical feat. And that's how we got to what I'll call the tweet. So I put it out on Twitter and I was just like, hey, I'm just trying to gauge interest to see if anyone wants to like potentially book a big bet for an MMA, an MMA fight, you know, looking for motivation to train. And within like literally five minutes, Steve O'Dwyer <laughs> wrote like paging JC Alvarado. Obviously, you know, Steve, people who are in poker know that Steve and JC are close. And JC had had, you know, a similar bet um, with, with Andrew Roble. Andrew Roble is another high stakes poker player. We'll come back to that name in a little while, but for now, all you need to know is that back in 2011, Robo planned a different MMA fight bet against this guy, the person who would end up being Olivier's opponent. Yeah, it would, I, I woke up one day and my Twitter was had a few things on it, and I read it, and I just read Steve's tweet, like, paging JC Alvarado, and uh, and I see Olivier, and I'm like, God damn, this is another, this is another uh, opportunity for this. That is Juan Carlos Alvarado, although everyone in the poker world just calls him JC. Like Olivier, JC is also a famous high-stakes player. With $3 million in live tournament winnings, he's the highest-earning tournament poker player from Mexico. Just this past October, he finished fourth at the World Series of Poker Europe, held in Berlin, and he picked up a half million dollars that day. He's also a superstar in the world of high-stakes online poker, as well as live cash games. The thing that makes JC different from Olivier is that JC already had some background in the martial arts. Not exactly major experience, but certainly enough for him to suspect he had the edge over the former choir member, Ivy Leaguer, and sit-and-go specialist. They differ in other ways as well. While Olivier spent his formative years as the son of French immigrants in New York City, JC had a rougher upbringing spending his childhood on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border. He says that even though he grew up in a tough neighborhood, he didn't really realize it was tough until about middle school. The people in my school would just get any, any sort of uh, excuse, and, and, and it'd be you know a full-out fight. And I saw some brutal fights like it, when we were kids. It wasn't... I don't think it's the normal schoolyard-type fights. These guys... I saw people, you know, smash their faces into the concrete in puddles of blood when we were like 14 years old and stuff like that. You know, cholos were a big deal in, in my school. There, there, there was gangs, even in middle school. Um, a lot of the kids that were around, you know, their parents were involved in in the drug, uh, like cartel in, environment and um, so, so some kids grew up in a way harder atmosphere, lifestyle than I did. That's right around the time when I started to really worry about, uh, being 
in physical altercations. I, I, I remember the very first time was uh, I was friends with this kid, um, and all of a sudden he just he he was he was had been left back like two years or something like that. He was way older than me, and uh, way bigger than me. And we were friends, and then for whatever reason, uh, he started like getting pretty aggressive in school. And that's the first time that I, I just knew that within a few weeks of this, we were just going to have to fight. And most likely, I was going to get my ass kicked because this guy was, you know, the big tough guy in school. He, I mean, he'd get in fights and he'd beat the shit out of people. And he had like bigger bullies. Um, tougher guys than him, like doing whatever he said. So and, you guys were friends, sense, but you guys were friends. We were but you friends, thought, and then, and we were friends, and I don't remember exactly what happened, but at some point he like kind of turned, and it became like pretty aggressive, and you know, like the shoulder bumps around school and stuff like that, and like telling uh, and you know telling his friends to talk shit. And it sounds, you know, I mean, obviously we're kids. We're, we're in the sixth grade. So this guy must have been 14 and I was 12. And, um, and I was a little 12-year-old too. I was always little. Mm-hmm. And I remember like going home and panicking and, uh, and just watching, you know, martial arts movies and watching, you know, I, oh, by this time I was also obsessed with boxing now because, you know, Julio Cesar Chavez was was a national hero, and he got me really into boxing since even since I was like a little younger than that. Um, and I remember telling my mom, I remember telling her like, like I'm gonna fight this kid who had been over to the house a million times and stuff like that. And my mom got worried, and we have an uncle who is who is legendary for getting in fights when he was younger. He, he once bit a guy's ear off and um, uh, in school protecting one of my aunts or something like that. And they tell stories about his fights. Every time we have a family reunion, like people start remembering, you know, the aunts and uncles start talking about his fights. And so she had me, since I didn't have like a, a father at home, I didn't have a father figure. I couldn't ask these questions to people, to anyone so she had me call my uncle and my uncle the day before, like, you, you know, you kind of sense these things, but day before I knew I had to fight, sure, <laughs> even yeah. though it wasn't like, like tomorrow we're going to fight. It wasn't like that, but I just knew yeah. it was going to happen. Um, so she had me call my uncle and my uncle said, said, uh, just remember this, the one who hit, hits first hits last. That was his big thing. And he's, he's like, Meaning. don't wait. He throw the first punch, okay. like every time. And that became my my whole philosophy to fighting up in, uh, at that point. And so the next day we're at school, and I remember perfectly. I was walking with one of my friends. There's a girl behind me that was mutual friends with me and the bully. And then the bully and all his fucking gangster friends are behind him. And this girl says, weren't you two going to fight? And, and then I turn around and, and the guy's like, so, yeah, like, what's up? And right when he gets there, I fucking throw a wild overhand right and I miss. 
and I and I fall to the ground, and he like comes and punches me. But I but I've been watching boxing, and I'd be, you know, I had I had like a, a speed bag at home. I had a, a heavy bags. I had stuff to do my own, you know, little boxing stuff with. So I put my guard up, and I just start outboxing this guy, like jabbing him, jabbing him, <laughs> cross. It just just one two is over and over. And he didn't wow. touch me, and I and I beat the shit out of him. I mean, as much as you beat the shit out of someone in sixth grade, you know, it wasn't like I pummeled him, uh, but I did knock him down, and I grabbed him, and I like started punching him in the face, and then his bigger friends went and grabbed me, and I remember two guys grabbing my arms behind my back, but he got up, and then and then he like came up to me, and I was, you know, I was defenseless at this point, and I said, uh. Fucking hit me. Well, you already beat the shit out of you. Uh, you, you need these two guys. And then, and then he did it. He just left. And then after that, I had no problems in school. Wow. You know, so that's you, what you were complete, like you, I mean, other than your, your, you know, taking Taekwondo as a kid, you were complete, like you were just completely self-trained and you just outboxed this like bigger, stronger dude by just, throwing jab crosses and watching Julio Chavez on TV? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was probably not, it wasn't like a tech, I wasn't, you know, sure. move, had, didn't have head movement like Mike Tyson <laughs> and stuff, but, but I, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you swing wild, and mm. I was a little more straight punching, so it, so it just connected over and over, and this guy didn't know what to do. That, I, I mean, that's exactly how I remember it going. And, uh, and my friend was like, my friend was a, a little chubby, nerdy kid. And he's like, holy shit. You know, it was like a, like a movie type situation. Like I just beat the, the big bad dude that had been left back, uh, two grades, um, in school. And, and then we got on the bus, we all got on the bus together. And, I, and then, you know, it was like weird confidence. Just all of a sudden, I was the man for just that, you know, one day. And yeah, like no one fucked with me in school after that, uh, in in that school at least. But but at the same time, you you always had to worry about fighting in in all my schools. All since I was twelve to the time I was like nineteen, it was you know I was thinking about fighting all the time and. I was never out of my friends. I was never the tough guy. I was I was always like super scared of fighting, and but at the same time, I don't, I don't think I ever backed down from a fight. I never started a fight, but I never backed down from one. But JC didn't exactly retire undefeated in the schoolyard. Um, it was it was my first year of high school. I had moved to a place called Monterey, um, okay. Mexico, and and. They're pretty tough there. It's like a northern part of Mexico, so, and it's a it's a lot like, it's the equivalent to the south of the U.S. kind of like, um, a lot of machismo, and um, people grow up different than in Mexico City, and and I got again a bully that was like two years older than me in high school, uh, told me tomorrow I'm gonna kick your ass. And we got to the locker room. We were both on the same soccer team. We got to the locker room. He came up to me and he's like, um, he's like, so do we fight now or do we fight or do we fight after practice? And I just 
I said now, and we went out to the hallway, and right as we went out, I just sucker punched him real hard, and then he beat the shit out of me. Um, he was way way bigger. Um, so yeah, that was that was my one big loss. From there, you would think that JC had an intuitive understanding that skill and technique could trump pure size and aggression, but that wasn't the case. So you grew up around this this culture of fighting, but you never really trained formally in in fighting, even though, you know, growing up in, in Mexico and around all this, this boxing and stuff. And, and you were always obsessed with fighting and whether it was, whether it was Bruce Lee or Julio Cesar Chavez, you never, you never walked into a boxing gym and, and wherever even asked your uncle and said, you know, like, where should I go, go boxing? You just figured you're, you're, I guess you're formally only practicing soccer, I guess. Yeah. I was playing a lot of soccer. I played every sport really, but I was play, like the only one that I was obsessed with was soccer and fighting to me was never like, I don't know how to explain it, but it wasn't a sport thing. I didn't even really believe that training would make you a better fighter necessarily. I, I, I although, even though I understood it cause I was, you know, obsessed with Bruce Lee and he's all technique and stuff, but for whatever reason, I never, I guess here's, here's, uh, the explanation I think. I didn't know that boxing gyms existed. I didn't know that, I didn't know that, uh, there was anything other than Taekwondo class. And I wasn't really into Taekwondo because Taekwondo had, you know, like, like katas and stuff like that. And I wasn't into that. Um, right. and I was always into fighting, but, and I was always into learning to fight, but I didn't know, I was never guided to, towards where, where the, the fight training happened. He ended up looking in the phone book for fighting schools and wound up at a judo school, where he ended up getting his yellow belt in judo before the normal teenage things. Girls, parties, getting a driver's license, and that kind of thing. That's not much experience. Yellow is actually the first belt you get after white belt in judo, but it was enough to win him a confrontation at a party a few years later as a teenager. So I stopped going to, to judo class, it seemed... It seemed a little, a little nerdy, um, but I do remember thinking it didn't work for a long time, and then getting in a fight uh, at a party with this guy, and and at some point he punched me in the head, and I was like falling back, and somehow I just grabbed onto his shirt as I was falling down, and I and then next moment I know I'm mounted and throwing punches. So I was like, oh, this stuff actually works. Like my muscle memory just took over. And I grabbed onto him his without even realizing. Like you, yeah. you just kind of threw him without intending to throw him. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how it happened, but I was full mount and throwing punches. Um, <laughs> and I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Because like, I could have sworn that judo didn't work. And that would be the end of his martial arts and fighting career, competitive or otherwise, until the age of 25. In fairness, Olivier got in his fair share of fights too, although in his case they happened more during his college years. Yeah, when I was when I was in college, I used to get in fights. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I used to get in fights in basically two different instances: on the basketball court and um, like in bars. Um, <laughs> I used to drink a lot when I was in college, and um, I went to uh, Cornell, which is in upstate New York, where there is nothing to do it's really dreary and cold and the bars close at one 
Um, so <laughs> there were like a, just lots of opportunities to just like be stupid. Um, and I was pretty just like, an, I was like an idiot when I was like 20, 21. And I was, and I guess I had some real rage in me because, uh, I wouldn't really start fights. Uh, but I would like, there would be opportunities to either like, there would be opportunities to engage or deescalate. And I would rarely, if ever choose deescalate. One fight in particular had an impact on Olivier's bar fighting days. I was actually back in, in New York City after college where I uh, was pretty drunk and was at a, a, like a restaurant with some of my friends. And this one kid who I was actually like friends with but not even boys with like got into it with this guy. And, and I was just like um, – and I said to the guy, I was like, yo, like is there a problem? And the guy was like – uh, yeah, there's a problem. And like, I was like, all right. And I just like started walking outside and he like followed me. He was like really down to go, you know? And this guy, like, I didn't even realize him. This guy was fucking huge. Um, <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, I, I was like, I wasn't really, how big was he? Just, he was probably like six, three, like two, two twenty or two thirty. He wasn't like, okay. just, like super jacked, but he was just like a big dude. Right. Um, and he had fire in his eyes. Like, he was ready to go. Um, and, like, actually a couple of his friends, like, came up to me and they were like, yo, you don't want to do this. Like, this guy's fucking crazy. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, it's too late now, you know? Um, <laughs> and he was just like, he was like, he was like, all right, you ready? And I was like, yeah. And he just, like, bum rushed me. And I was like, I think I, I don't even, I didn't know what I was doing. I kind of just got out of the way and, like, pushed him. And, like, he fell. And I was like, you know, feeling good about myself. And then he just like got right back up and like bum rushed me again. And I tried to do something similar, but he just like grabbed me and tackled me to the ground. And um, I didn't even like realize this, but I guess my head like hit the cement and like I was like bleeding pretty badly. Um, and like we like, got up and like I was had like blood all over my face. And uh, and he like looked at me and like kind of like wasn't he was like ready to not just keep going. And then, like, a couple of my friends were like, oh, shit, like, fight's over, fight's over. And, like, I had, like, go to the hospital, and I was, like, pretty stupid. And that was the last time that I ever got into, like, a uh, fight. Um, this was probably, like, I was probably, like, 23 or something like that. And I was like, all right, maybe I'm going to stop doing this. Getting tackled to the ground by a much bigger man and having your friends jump in because you're bleeding all over the ground doesn't sound like anyone's idea of fun. But it's also not the worst beating in the world either. In any case, it seems that both Olivier and JC figured out that there were more productive things to do than prove their manhood in fistfights. They both turned their focus to something that they were much more naturally adept at doing, making money playing poker. Olivier and JC would both discover poker and begin their ascension into the high-stakes poker world. The high-stakes world isn't that big, and they would often cross paths on the European poker circuit in particular. They weren't friends, but they weren't strangers either, and in such a small community, people are bound to have mutual friends and acquaintances. One of JC's friends, another high-stakes player named Steve O'Dwyer, was one of Olivier's 30,000 Twitter followers and happened to be online when Olivier sent out the tweet. Hey, my name's Ross Henry. I'm the producer of All In or Knocked Out. And I'm Terrence Chan. When we first came up with the idea to cover the fight between Olivier and JC, we were both super excited about the idea. We've enjoyed making this project a lot. It's also cost a bunch of money. Travel, equipment, time. <laughs> Lots of time. Well, I mean, your job is to make me sound good. I bet that takes a while. Mm -hmm. No kidding. So wait, what? So anyway, if you've got a moment and you'd like to help us make more episodes, 
please check out allinornocktout.com. There, you can find out how to make a donation, or just spread the word. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks. Now back to All In or Knocked Out. I don't know, like, again, I, I, it's almost like you instinctually react to these things without putting much thought into it and never question why you're, why you're doing something. Um, at least in my case, I'm very impulsive like that. And when I saw it, I immediately wrote, like, I'm interested. Let's, let's do this. And I had so many reasons to not do it. According to JC, he was doing really well in poker at the time, making good money. Plus, he'd been through a training camp for a prop bet fight already. I know what it's like to train for a fight. I know the stress involved. I know the hours involved. I know the type of pain I'm in. And I know that I, that the way I work is obsessive. So... I knew that poker was going to go out the window, kind of, if I, if I agreed to this bet. But JC wrote to his coaches anyway. Remember, JC had planned to fight fellow poker pro Andrew Robel back in 2011. At that time, he'd scoured the internet and managed to make connections to Matt Hume and Joel Jameson, who were respectively an elite one-two punch of possibly the best MMA coach in the world and the best strength and conditioning coach in MMA. Together, they trained Demetrius Johnson, the 125-pound UFC champion, the man some consider to be the best pound-for-pound fighter in MMA. In Mexico City, he was getting trained by Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt Dan Sean, an elite-level international competitor in grappling. He also enlisted the services of then-undefeated Mexican MMA fighter Jetmiko Waluyo. My big edge was that I already knew who I was going to train with. I was going to train with the best coach in the world, and I thought that was a big thing. Um, even if I, if, if it meant not training actively there the whole time, I knew that I'd have him as a person who I could ask questions to. And I knew that I'd have, you know, someone who, in my opinion, is the best strength and conditioning coach in the world to do my program. And I wanted to go through the experience again, because the first experience with Robo, even though it didn't come close to, to, to the finish line, I learned so much from that. It's so much about myself, so much about my career as a poker player, so much about, you know, life in general, that I could only learn more if I did another full camp like this. Because these are, you know, just, it's not just I'm preparing for a fight, I'm preparing for a championship fight. You know, I'm, I'm trying to train like, like the world champions do. So I knew I would I would get all that experience and really uh, and really learn a lot from it. And I think financially and maybe even logistically, it was completely a bad decision in the sense that I could I could have just kept playing poker and I was doing really well at poker, um, and I could have focused all my energy into that. But I think in the long run. Having this experience is going to change me as is going to make me even, you know, more profitable as a poker player and just give me more of an advantage in life in general. Talk a bit more about that. Why would 
accepting, you know, so obviously like the, the money that you might make from this fight is maybe even less and obviously you're risking some. So it's not like you just get, uh, Olivier's money. So like, even though financially it wasn't, it's not a good decision in the short term, talk about why it's maybe the right thing for you to, to do long term or makes you even profitable as a poker player. So a while back, I was listening to a Louis C.K., uh, the comedian, I was listening to him do an interview on a, like a boxing show. He's a big boxing guy. And, um, and he said something about, he trains with Mickey Ward, who is a legend in boxing. Um, and he does, he talked about doing full fight camps for his, whenever he's getting ready to film a big special. He'll do like, he'll get Mickey Ward to travel around with him and he'll train with him. And he said something that kind of stuck with me. This was before the Robo fight, I think. Um, he said, uh, you know, there's kids that are 14, 15 years old who are waking up at like four in the morning and training six hours a day to go to the Olympics where they're going to get paid zero. And this is all the effort they do. And there's comedians who are good and talented and don't even prepare for, for their comedy. They, they, they smoke weed, they get drunk, they, they sort of, they're completely irresponsible. And he said that that kind of discipline can transfer over to anything. And I, I've always sort of agreed with that intuitively. But when he said that, I, I thought, man, that, that's so true. Like in poker, especially at the highest levels, well, there's people with, who are naturally gifted or very, very smart. Um, and they live this wild lifestyle that you could only just imagine how much better they would be if they were actually trying. And mm-hmm. I'm not naturally gifted and I'm not very intelligent in, in that sense. Um, like I was never the kid who got good grades in school. I failed a ton of classes. You know, it's, it's actually kind of shocking that I'm doing well in such a cerebral type game. So I can't afford to not give it my all. And, and at the end of, at the end of, uh, of my poker career, I don't want to go back and say like, like, what have I tried harder? How much better could I have been? And I learned that the most when I trained with Matt and uh, with Matt and everyone at, 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 at the AMC gym, uh, in, in Washington. I saw, I got to see firsthand close up and talk to, uh, the, the, you know, who, who some consider the person who some consider the, the best pound for pound fighter in the world, Demetrius Johnson, the, the flyweight champion. I got to see him and I, and I'd see this like focus that I don't see in anyone that I, even though I'm around high level competitors in, in my, in my own game, I don't see anything quite like what he has. I don't see that focus. I don't see that drive. I don't see that discipline and that sort of determination that it takes to be an elite athlete. And I don't see any reason to think that poker shouldn't be treated in that way. I don't, I, I don't see how like preparing your body and eating right and preparing your mind 
and treating it like a legitimate, serious competition, I don't see how that could be a bad thing. And 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 meanwhile, I spent so much of my career like drinking at the table or or getting drunk the night before a tournament or smoking weed and and playing or even just having a late night with friends completely sober and then the next day playing a big tournament. And I think you're starting to see a pattern within the super high roller community, um, which is, you know, these giant tournaments that are happening all the time now. I think the better players in those tournaments, you'll see them at the gym right before the day before, or you'll see them trying to figure out what is the best way that they could keep their mind in, in optimal conditions for playing. I think, I think we're starting to, to see that starting point. And I, and I really believe that I'm ahead of the game in that area. Like, like I might not have advantages in certain aspects of the game, but I, I think I'm better than everyone at preparation. And I think of it a lot of, a big part of the reason why is because I got to be at the gym with a world champion and with a world champion level coach and with all these people and, and see that side of things. And it really made me feel like it, like, like I'm just an asshole for, for not trying for 10 years. <laughs> well, meanwhile, these guys are getting paid like, you know, so, some of the guys at the gym who aren't world champions are getting paid like 12,000 to fight in a professional, like, big league and or or less than that and they're training so fucking hard and I'm playing poker for millions and I'm you know not caring Olivier says originally with his tweet he was just gauging interest he wanted to see what was out there in a non-committal sort of fashion but the more he and JC spoke the more it seemed like this random idea might actually become a reality here's Olivier once again and so JC I think like woke up, I think he was sleeping and woke up like a few hours later and, and said that he hadn't trained all year, but he was interested. Um, and then I basically got in touch with him pretty quickly and we started to discuss things. And I think, you know, there's so many kind of unknowns in the beginning of a situation like this. Um, and so the first unknown that was um, kind of put in the category of like reasonable was the fact that I just, I know JC personally, like I'm not boys with him. You know, I wasn't like close with him, but like I know I've been at the same table with him. We have, we know people in common. He's like a known quantity. So as opposed to some random person who's somewhat affiliated with poker, but I have no idea who that person is, this is like a known quantity, which just makes it much more like of an acceptable type of idea um, in my head. And I felt this palpable emotional transition when that happened. And the main way to describe this emotional transition is just fear or, you know, anxiety. And, sure. and, and there's this rational fear associated with, you know, being in a cage with somebody who's trying to really hurt you. But that's really not what it was. There was this kind of irrational, like looming cloud of anxiety that I felt. I didn't know how to explain or describe what it was, but I felt it. I felt it in, deep in my chest, felt it in my stomach, and it was not a good feeling. Not only that, Olivier's entire family was against the idea. His brother took him out to dinner solely with the intent of trying to dissuade him from the fight. So I was, yeah, but I mean, but, but what it did was it did, I, I felt myself seeing a way out. I could have like used my 
you know, like this this family um, issue of you know dynamic of really really not wanting me to do it. I could have used that even in my even to myself and been like, you know what, you know, like I'm just I'm just finalizing my divorce. I really just need to focus on other things, poker, what how I'm going to live the rest of my life. Like, um, you know, my parents really don't want me to do this. This was like a cool idea, but it's just not the right time or this is not for me. And just been like, you know, thanks, but no thanks and just moved on. Um, but I don't know exactly why. I think it was a combination of my own kind of personality plus the fact that I was in a unique emotional state having just um, come out of this um, pretty, pretty difficult um, and in some ways toxic relationship um, where I was trying to find a, a, you know, forge a new identity for myself, find a, a, a new way forward, identify in a, in a, in a new way. Um, and it, it gave me a kind of different perspective than I might have otherwise had. And that perspective was, okay, are you going to essentially like cow to this fear or are you going to step up and face it? And once I had presented the choice in those terms to myself, it just became a non-choice anymore. I, I just, I, I, you know, I, I think everybody kind of wants to be the hero of their own story. And it was just like, this was one of those crossroad moments where I was just like, I'm not going to be the coward in the situation. I'm going to, I, now I have to just do this. Even I'm not even sure I want to do this, but now I have to do this. In JC's case, his main concerns were whether the people that he wanted to train with, Matt Hume, Joel Jameson, Dan Sean, whether they were going to be able to work with him. For Olivier, the question was a bit more about his opponent. What exactly was JC's experience? The problem was, not only did Olivier not know about JC's skill set in MMA, he didn't even know what questions to ask. So he turned to a friend to help figure that out. And then, and then, then it was just like, okay, one of my best friends is um, a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, huge fan of the UFC, and I was just like relying on him to make sure I asked all of the questions I needed to ask of JC to make sure um, there wasn't any big surprises and... I was just like, okay. I, I told him I was like, his name is Joe. I was like, Joe, I want to do this. So, like, let's figure, let's figure out like the best way to do this. And then, you know, I kept asking JC questions, and all my questions kept coming up with good answers. You know, I mean, I, I was like, did you wrestle in high school? And he was like, no. And I was like, oh, big sigh of relief. You know, <laughs> wrestlers are animals. Absolutely. I was, like, I was like, thank God. And then I was like, and then I asked JC. I was like, you know, I said, JC, how many times have you sparred? And this, I was so shocked by this answer. I mean, I really hope he didn't sandbag me on this answer because he was like, he was like, uh, he was like light sparring, like nine or 10, but he was like heavy sparring two or three. And I was just like, what? How, like, I don't even understand. Like, how could you have only sparred two or three times? And he, and he made it clear. He was like, I just want to make it clear. I'm not talking about like rolling in the context of jujitsu. And I was like, yeah, no, no, I get it. I was like, I mean, sparring, like, you know, getting hit in the face. And he was like, serious. And he was like, yeah, serious barring only two or three times. And I was just like, that's. I just felt like that was crazy. I just, you know, he was. He had. I know he had been training for this bet with Robel, and mm -hmm. I thought he had had like genuine MMA experience. But what I, what I assumed from that answer was that like his experience wasn't real MMA experience. That he likely had been going to jujitsu class, which means doing sport jujitsu, and maybe doing some boxing with a coach which means right. hitting, hitting pads, pads and, yeah. and, and hitting a bag and doing technique. Um, 
but and then probably did a little bit of sparring in preparation for the Robo fight, but then broke his rib, couldn't train for a bit, and then Robo backed out, so he didn't do that last kind of, you know, four to six weeks where he probably would have done a much more sparring, so just hadn't done that much sparring. So I was thinking, okay, I mean, it sounds like you have a lot more experience than me, but it actually doesn't, <laughs> you know? Um, I was like, I, it just seemed to me like this is a really good spot. Like, like he's actually overestimating his own experience, it seems like, or the value of his own experience. But, uh, but I also knew, like, that I didn't know anything. You know I mean, I'm coming into this situation <laughs> literally not knowing anything. So what exactly was JC's level of training at this point? That's exactly what I asked him. So this happens in like late 2013 and Olivier puts out the challenge two years later in late 2015. Uh, what does your training look like over those two years since, you know, you told Olivier that you basically hadn't trained for a year? I, no, I said I haven't trained seriously all year or something okay. like that is what I said. Which means when I'm training seriously, I'm training like at least four times a week and mixing and bossing and some jujitsu and stuff like that. But so, so when, when I had the fight with Robo, I also rented a new house and I built a, a small gym in there. It was like padded walls and mats and, and it, it was like the, the best part of my house. It was my, my favorite part of my house. And, you know, I would at least go down there by myself and hit the bag sometime. But, you know, um, sometimes I'd get, uh, I'd lose motivation and then stop, stop working out at all for a couple months. Um, so my training in the, in the time between the Robo fight and the Olivier fight would be like, okay, I know I'm home for four weeks because I have, I just ended a trip and I have a poker trip in a month. I'd call my coach and I'd have some private lessons two, maybe sometimes three times a week. Sometimes I'd mix in some boxing. Um, and then I'd go on a trip again and I'd come back and then I'd maybe relax for a week or two and then maybe have, you know, one or two classes a week, uh, and so on. So it was very, uh, on and off and, and I feel like, particularly in jiu-jitsu, if you're not, well, I guess in any form of martial arts, if you're not active, you just lose everything. I'd, I'd lose my conditioning in a month, and then I'd try to get back into it, and I'd have no muscle memory, I'd have no conditioning. I'd sort of have, have to stop, had to start from, from point zero again and, and move my way up. So I never really got that good. And, and when, and when, Olivier sent out the tweet. I really hadn't been training. I'd been having like these crazy, uh, poker games that I was active in. And I'd oftentimes end up waking up like, like two or three times a week. I'd fall asleep like at 10 in the morning and then wake up at, you know, 4 p.m. Or, or, or 2 p.m. and feel really, really tired. So there's just no way that you could even exercise when you're when you're living that lifestyle and I was living that lifestyle a lot so so it was a pretty a stressful time and I was also just very very tired I was having all sorts of, of problems with you know 
just life problems in general. Um, I've had anxiety for a long time and go through like depression a little bit. And then when, when my lifestyle is really bad, it sort of magnifies all the, all that stuff. So I was just not in good shape. Like sometimes I'd, I'd realize that I needed to get some activity in my life so that I could feel a little better. So I'd train for like a couple weeks and then I'd get back to sleeping at 9am and, and uh, not being able to train. I'll leave it up to you guys to determine whether JC was, to use Olivier's words, sandbagging or intentionally selling his own experience level short. But in any case, a guy sporadically training three or four times a week, staying in good shape, even installing a home gym complete with a heavy bag, all the while having his boxing coach and his jiu-jitsu coach come over to help him, he seems like far from a complete novice. I guess it rests on your interpretation of that keyword, seriously. In comparison to a real pro MMA fighter, JC wasn't training seriously, but clearly he was training. On the surface, this might be starting to look like a mismatch. After all, we know that JC took some judo and taekwondo at a young age, and has been training jiu-jitsu and boxing with a coach since at least 2011 in preparation for the Andrew Robel fight. But there's one mitigating factor we haven't mentioned. At the time of the bet, JC is about 150 pounds, and Olivier is a fairly jacked 185 pounds. Like I said off the top, Olivier is not your average scrawny internet nerd at all. One of his internet poker names is even Adonis112. He's a big dude, although if you asked him before this fight, he would have said most of his muscles were for show rather than strength. JC in his 150-pound frame doesn't look weak by any means, but he doesn't look intimidating either. Unsurprisingly, he looks a lot like a soccer player, long and lean, but not a chiseled or massive upper body. Unlike Olivier, he's not likely to make PokerNews.com's list of the top five biceps in poker. And yes, by the way, that was an actual thing. So they both agreed to weigh in officially, the day before the fight, at two different amounts. JC would weigh in at anything under 165 pounds, whereas Olivier could come in up to 187.5 pounds. In a fight against two opponents of the same skill level, a 22-pound discrepancy is a big deal. As the saying goes, a good big man will beat a good small man. But in addition to the size advantage, Olivier also considers himself the better athlete, something he's mentioned a few times in the media, including an interview that he did with me on the 2 Plus 2 PokerCast. You know, I, I, I'm probably overall the level of like a Division three college athlete. And mm-hmm. he was probably at the level of a high school athlete, you know, a good high school athlete. So I thought there was probably like one athletic level difference um, between us. And I thought that could work both in the context of being a multiplier during training and then obviously could have some effect um, in the actual fight itself. That's That was my thought um, and still is my hope. Nevertheless, both guys decided that with JC's experience advantage, that it would be fair if JC were the one laying the price, that is, giving odds. They settled on JC risking $150,000, while Olivier would put up $120,000. And just like that, the bet was on. Starting from a disadvantage in experience, Olivier figured he'd better get right to training. Now the bet is official. Oh yeah. And presumably you're, you're going to look for a gym to sign up at. What did you... But actually, before we get to that, before we get to that, what did you think it was going to be like 
going to an MMA gym for for six months, you know, w- walking in guy off the street has no idea what he's doing. What did, what was your sort of preconception? I, I, did, I, I wasn't even planning on going to an MMA gym. Like I had no idea what really? I was going to do. Like at first, my Equinox trainer was like, "Yo, I can just teach you how to fight." I was like, "Really?" So like, this is just a guy you met at at, at a fitness yeah, gym. Yeah, literally for the first week. I was I was like going and training with him in the morning, strength and conditioning, and then in the evenings we were doing like fight stuff. But we were literally doing it in the middle of an equinox. Like there were like yeah. there were like regular people like, and it's not even like a young person equinox. It was like an older person equinox. Like people <laughs> were like on the treadmill, like doing like band work, you know. And like he has this like dummy on the ground, and I'm just like like trying to knee it and like punch it in the face. And people are looking at me like, what is this guy doing? It was actually super awkward and uncomfortable for the first week. I was like, I cannot do this. I don't even know what I'm doing. I think this is ridiculous. So I was like, okay. And then during that time, my friend Joe was like, hey, why don't you meet with this guy I used to train with? His name is Tito Hartz, and he runs an MMA gym in the Bronx. So Olivia explains the bet to Tito Hartz. I mean, I told yeah, I told him. I, I'm super. I mean, I'm just completely like a transparent person, like open person. I don't like if I, I don't try to finagle and manipulate situations like pretty much ever. I'm just like I always just tell. I always try to give as much information as possible so people like know the deal. And especially with a guy like this, like if this guy, if I was gonna like train with this guy, I wanted this guy to be completely on board, on my side, and like you know be sure. like re- really be a, feel like we were in this together. Um, and, and I wasn't, I had no idea how he was going to respond. I mean, at the time, now I know Tito pretty well, but at this time I didn't know him at all, obviously. And he was just like, he like, he has this like big smile. He's just like let out this big smile. He was like, I like this idea. He's like, he's like, this is going to be my project, you know? And I was like, dope. I was like, all right. And then like the first, and, and, and like that day he was just like, all right, go home or whatever. Tito invites him to come back the next day for his first day of real training. I like, came back the next day. And we're just like lining up on a wall and like we go through a warm up and it's like five or six of us. And uh, and then he's just like, all right, he's like, all right, let's start. He's like, let's start. He's like, let's spar. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah. And I was like, and I, and I looked at him and I was like, what, like, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, I don't know. He was like, just do, just do whatever, just go. He was like, just try to win. And I was like, what? What the fuck do you mean? I was literally like, what did I just get myself into? Like, what the fuck? Um, and and we and I, we we weren't sparring. We were just rolling. This is what I realized later. Like, we were just rolling. We were just doing jujitsu, and like ah. and like his like his uh, his guys were like a couple purple belts and like a couple very good blue belts. And I guess he like gave them some instruction, like not to just like destroy me. Um, so I guess there there were like some submissions that they just weren't doing. Um, but I just had my like first experience and, you know, you know, I'm sure not as a big surprise to you or most people. Like I was just like exhausted in like two seconds. Yeah. I was like incredibly tense, like super inefficient with energy, had no idea what was like flailing around. <laughs> it was just like, what the fuck am I doing? Um, but like all the kids were just like, I mean, they were kind of like toying with me, um, but like they were like cool about it. And um and I was just like, okay, like whatever. I don't know what I just did or what just happened. Um, and this is straight jujitsu, you said, right? Like, so nobody's yeah. throwing a punch at you at this point. Yeah, no one's throwing a punch at me yet. Um, yeah. But I was still so, just like, all right, I don't know what just happened. 
Um, but it was like, oh, you know, I felt, and then, <laughs> and I remember I like at the end of the session, I like looked down and I had these like massive, like burns in my feet, like on the top of my left foot, like these yeah. three, just like, like someone had just like, I don't know, taken like, a piece of carpet and just like, like scraped it down my, down my foot, like really deep. And I was just like, like sandpaper. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like that. And, and Tito yeah. was like, oh, you think that hurts now? Like, wait till you get in the shower. Yeah, like, and funny. I had stuff on my knees, like the back of my ankles and stuff. Um, and I was just like, and then he was right. Like I got home and I like the shower was one of the most painful experiences I've ever had. I was like, oh my god, I was like, what am I gonna do? Like I can't do this. I mean, I can't. I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I asked him. I was like so desperate. I was like, do you think it would be possible for me to wear shoes? And he was like, yeah, you can wear wrestling shoes for a bit. And I was like, oh, amazing. <laughs> so I like got, ended up I, like. I had, I remember I had this like med clinic in my bathroom for the first like two weeks. I'm constantly just like, you know, band-aiding, putting Neosporin, like wrapping with like, you know, tape, my feet and my ankles and then putting wrestling shoes on. And I was like, this is going to be ridiculous. But they told me, they were like, don't worry, you're going to get used to it and you'll be fine. And I was like, I don't know, man. It doesn't feel like I'm going to get used to it. The next day, stand-up sparring doesn't go that much better for Olivier. Not only is he beaten up, he's also cut open by an accidental headbutt and ends up at the hospital getting stitches. Is this what it's going to be like every day? Like, <laughs> this is pretty crazy. Like, you know, I'm like, and I, I remember I even said to Tito, because one of the first things Tito said to me was like, he's like, you can go to the city MD and get stitches or I can just give you some butterfly stitches. And I didn't even know what butterfly stitches were, but like, I was like, I, I, no offense, bro, but I don't want you touching my face. <laughs> I was like, I think I'm going to go to the city MD. And I remember I like, I didn't want to like sound like a bitch. So I remember I threw in this line. I was like, oh, you know, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to do like, you know, TV and poker. I just don't want to have a big scar on my face. And right after I said it, I was like, that was one of the worst things I could have said. <laughs> he just like started laughing. And I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, oh, that was dumb. And like they, like he like made fun of that line for like the next few months. It was pretty funny. Understandably, he begins to question whether he can really do this. Luckily, a friend of Olivier's came to the rescue. I spoke to um, actually Elliot Rowe, um, who is a fantastic guy and uh, you know a, a mental coach both for poker and for MMA. Elliot reached out to me. Um, immediately after hearing about this bet, and in an incredibly like generous and really really nice way, um, was actually at first just like super <laughs> concerned for me. He was like just like, concerned. I was weighing over my head, I was just gonna get my ass beat, and he was just like, um, you know, like you. I don't think you realize like what you're getting yourself into, like all the stuff. But he was doing it, you know, out of concern and trying to like help me understand what this was about and like what I was doing. And um, and so when I told him about this, he was like, oh, you know, that makes sense. He's just trying to see where you're at from the beginning. He's just like testing you. Um, you know, so he was like, he was, he was like making, he's like validating and making me feel better about like my experiences. Um, and so I was just like, I, I didn't, I didn't really think much of it. I was just like, I believed Tito when he said this was like a freak thing that just doesn't happen. Like ch my chin. Right. And, and I actually felt much more comfortable because I was like, okay, now I, I kind of know where I'm going to learn how to fight and who I'm going to learn how to fight from. Because that was really an open question before. Like, I was like, am I really going to try to learn from this Equinox trainer right now? Perhaps surprisingly, while Olivier was getting thrown into the deep end at his gym in the Bronx, JC was not actually taking training all that seriously, at least in the beginning. I, th I think Olivier and I have a similar story that actually hasn't been talked about on my end. Um, 
which is that I broke up with my girlfriend of three years, who I lived with for three years, right before the, the I agreed to the fight. So I knew that part of the reason why the fight would be a good thing was because it wouldn't allow me to go down the, that, the, the self-destruction route of, you know, drinking and drugs and partying and maybe the stuff that I, that I would have done, um, had I, had I not had this end goal for the first, you know, few months of, of the breakup. So I actually did kind of go down that road for the first month or so of the camp because it was, um, November, maybe even month and a half. November and December, I was already training quite a bit, but I was also partying and I was also, you know, going out and friends that would visit me and I'd take them out and, and, uh, um, I wasn't a hundred percent disciplined at the time. And then right around January, I just stopped all that. It, it, exactly. New Year's was the last time I, yeah, it's the last time I got drunk for sure. And, and then I went into super, super discipline. So I, I was never in between. A good No Limit Hold'em tournament player will tell you that if you're getting low on chips, there's really only two decisions. You either fold your hand or you go all in. JC quickly found out that this doesn't apply just to his poker game, but also to his personal life. Either he's tremendously disciplined and he's doing everything absolutely correctly, or he's spiraling out of control. Or I don't do that. I, I either stop training and don't take anything seriously and and go down uh, the wrong path, or I get very, very motivated, very disciplined, and and I and I have like this tunnel vision of what it is I need to do to succeed. And it's always been like that, I guess, since I was. Since I was young, I, if, if I had, if I had soccer to look forward to, I was extremely disciplined. And if I didn't, I, I would go down the wrong road. And, and in a way, this, this fight has saved me from that, from, from really destroying my body and stuff. And, and it's been actually the opposite. I've, I've gotten to, to this point where I'm, you know, been able to, to, it's been therapeutic uh, in a way. It might sound like a cliche, but fighters will tell you all the time, the toughest opponent that you could ever face is yourself. All In or Knocked Out is the work of host Terrence Chan and producer Ross Henry. Our production assistant is Robin McDonald. Music is by Murphy Chops. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to this week's $100 black chip contributors. Steve O'Dwyer. Brad Willis, Jeff Rossiter, Matt Harvalenko, Brandon Adams, and Tyler Wong. For more information on the series, check out allinornockedout.com. If you liked what you heard and would like us to continue making more, please consider making a donation. You can also just spread the word. Once again, that's allinornockedout.com. Thanks. Until next time on All In or Knocked Out.